Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Philippians. The New Testament book of Philippians and Philippians in chapter number 1. The book of Philippians and chapter number 1. We are continuing with our series of the book of Philippians with the theme and the idea that I may know him. And that Paul at the height of his ministry, the same with Moses in the height of his ministry, both of them shared the same prayer request that I may know him. And when you think about here's Paul who at the very height of him being used has the prayer that I may know him. That should encourage us to say, well, I'm no Paul, but I want to have that same prayer that I may know him. And as we've gone through the book of Philippians and we start off, we've understood that Paul and this church of Philippi have a very special close-knit relationship. That as Paul has found himself in prison and is waiting for trial with the Roman Caesar of that day, Nero, he's writing to the church of Philippi and he's thanking them because they've been an encouragement. They haven't abandoned him with him. They've stood with him. In fact, they've supplied for his needs during this time. And so he's writing back and telling them how they are fellow laborers in the gospel, how their fellowship in the gospel. Well, they're continuing together because of their efforts. He's able to do what he ought to do. And because of the way that he's trained them, they're continuing with what they need to do. That they've talked about the, for the furtherance of the gospel. That these things that have happened, he's in prison now so the gospel can be furthered for the furtherance of the gospel. And we'll see a little bit later how they're going here for the faith of the gospel. That they're striving together for the faith of the gospel. That all of it, they all have a part to play to see the gospel of Jesus Christ spread. Now as we find our way in the book of Philippians chapter number 1, pick it up with me and starting at verse number 19. The book of Philippians chapter 1 and verse 19. Notice what the word of God says. For I know that this turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet, what I shall choose, I want not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you in all your furtherance and joy of faith. That your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for, by, <coughs> for me by my coming to you again. 
And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Philippians chapter number one? The book of Philippians chapter number one, and notice with me in verse number 20, mark a phrase if you wouldn't mind, Christ shall be magnified in my body. Christ shall be magnified in my body. With the Lord's help, we would like to preach this emphasis here as Paul is writing to the church of Philippi. Christ should be magnified in my body. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, we're asking that you would open up the scripture in a special way that we may learn more about Paul and his desire for you, for his life to be a reflection, for his life to show who you are. And that we ourselves can end up having that same goal, that same desire, that truly that you would be magnified in our lives, how we live our lives from day to day. Everything that we do is made to magnify, to glorify, to honor you our Savior. Again, I dare not trust my own, so the best I know how, I surrender myself to you, my desires, my goals, my thought, my intellect. I give it all to you. And that you fill me with your precious spirit and you get your own work accomplished because of whom you are and through your precious word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now remember, as the Apostle Paul is sitting in a prison, he's writing this letter to the church of Philippi. And he's already been telling them that I'm determined I'm going to stand. In fact, the last time we read for the furtherance of the gospel that he's been witnessing. Remember, the Roman guards are chained to him. And that as he's chained to him, he says, well, since you're chained to me, can I tell you a little bit about how I came to know Jesus Christ? Well, you see, there was a time on the road to Damascus. And over and over, he would witness to everyone who was chained to him. There would be people who would come to visit him in prison. And while he's in prison, he had more of an influence on others around him than Caesar had influence. People would come to him and come to get saved. In fact, the Bible talks about in the book of Philippians chapter 4, it speaks about that there are even people who are saved inside of Caesar's palace now. And that the influence is going out. And he's writing and encouraging this church. And now as he's looking at his chains. And he's thinking about that I've got a trial coming up. He's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In fact we're going to see in just a bit. How the Holy Spirit changes his thinking as he's writing this. But let's learn some things as Paul is making an emphasis. That the one thing I want in my life. Is for Christ to be magnified in my body. The first thing I'd like to show you here from this passage is that Christ is magnified in my life through prayer. Christ is magnified in my life through prayer. Notice with me in verse 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer. And the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Now as Paul is sitting here. In jail, he's writing to the church of Philippi and he said, listen, because of your prayers, because of the way that you're praying for me, there's some things I can expect. I believe that God is supplying, that God is going to be magnified in my life because of your prayers. What is specifically? For I know that this shall turn to my salvation. Now remember this word salvation in its generic form carries the idea of deliverance from 
a situation. When we talk about biblical salvation, we talk about that Jesus has delivered us from the situation that we deserve hell. In this case, he's actually quoting and referring back to the book of Job, where Job is looking at his situation, and he is maintaining his integrity, and he's making an observation that God is going to deliver me, he's going to save me from this situation Because I'm maintaining my integrity. That God is going to vindicate me. That God is going to prove that I was right after all. Remember Job has his friends who are encouraging him. By telling him. This is coming because you're a sinner. Just get right. Confess your sin. And Job's saying. I know I'm a sinner, but the best I know how I'm as right with God as possible. And his friends kept trying to encourage him. Just confess. Just tell them. Tell us what you did wrong. Get it right. I'm trying to do right. In the midst of this, he says, listen, I'm as right as I know how. I don't know what else to do to show you guys. I'm trusting that God is going to deliver me from my situation and prove my integrity correct. Now, as you apply that to Paul, Paul has been arrested for no reason whatsoever. In fact, as you look in the book of um, Acts, you could see that Paul was directed by the pastor of the church of Jerusalem to go complete the a vow of the Nazarite with several people that to go shave their head. And there was a ceremony that went for several days. And the pastor of the church of Jerusalem also expected Paul to pay for it on his own. Well, he submitted to the pastor of Jerusalem and had performed these. Well, people supposed that Paul had been bringing Gentiles into the temple. And that was their suppose. Paul did not. But because they made that accusation they stirred up all the Jewish people and they grabbed Paul and began beating him well it wasn't Paul's fault he didn't do anything illegal people made a wrong judgment he was doing everything right by the way it wasn't what he wanted to do anyways but he was submitting he's paying for it and so they start beating him in the temple well the temple guard said you can't beat him here beat him outside so they drag him outside the temple grounds and start beating him well it became such a ruckus and a riot that the Roman soldiers came and they arrested Paul. He's the guy getting beat. Must be his fault. They drag him to jail. Try to figure out what's going on. They had Jewish accusers that come and start accusing him. He's locked up to jail. Next thing you know, Paul's nephew heard that there was a plot against his life. That some people vowed that they wouldn't eat until Paul died. Well, they never got a hold of Paul. I wonder if they're still hungry now. But they ended up bringing him to Caesarea. And there he's sitting in jail for two years. And he goes to court with Festus. And he goes to court with Felix. And he goes to court with Herod Agrippa of that time. And nobody found him guilty. Finally he realizes this isn't ever going to change. Because they wanted some money. And he wasn't going to pay the bribe. So he appealed to Caesar. Send me to Caesar. Let him do my case. Why? Because he's innocent. So they haul him up to Rome. He gets shipwrecked. They put him in Rome. He's under house arrest. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for his accusers to finally show up so they could go to court. The problem is, is that under Roman law, that if you brought a frivolous case before Caesar, and Caesar said, why are you bringing this to my court? That you would be sentenced to death. So for some reason, no one was showing up to accuse Paul. But he's arrested and and still waiting. And so he knows, I'm going to face Caesar soon. They've already kind of told me. I'm hoping that everything goes well. But I haven't done anything wrong. And I'm trusting by your prayers that God is going to deliver me. 
He's going to bring me salvation. That it's going to be proven that I didn't do anything wrong. And I'm trusting that by your prayers. Pray for me. Pray for me. Verse number 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer. And the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm trusting God's spirit. I'm trusting that as you pray, that God is going to do a work and that it's going to prove that I was right and that we can continue on with the gospel. I'm trusting that God is going to make somehow, somehow way, he's going to prove that I wasn't in the wrong so it won't hurt other people. I'm trusting that God's going to deliver. Please pray. And as you pray, I'm trusting that God would be magnified, that Christ would be magnified in my body because it's not me, it's him. I was just serving him. As we go on, we can see a second thing in here, that Christ is magnified in my life to live for Christ. Christ is magnified in my life to live for Christ. Notice in verse number 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Now Paul was living in the hope that nothing he would do would bring shame to the cause of Christ. That I, he says, I'm trusting, I'm hoping that as God has led me by his spirit, that nothing could be accused to bring shame to my Lord. That everything I've done, I tried to obey my, the pastor of Jerusalem and I did that. That I did everything right. I didn't bring a Gentile into the temple. Uh, the things that I've done, I haven't done anything wrong because I don't want to bring shame to Christ. Nothing like having someone, yes, I'm a follower of Christ, but don't look at all my skeletons back here. I don't want you to find them because if people found them, they'd say, that's a Christian. That's what a follower of Christ is supposed to do. He says, I don't want to do anything to bring shame upon my Lord. Oh, how things would change in Christian's life if that was one of our goals. That everything I do in my life, that it wouldn't bring shame. Is what you're watching, does that bring shame? If someone came to you and say, Christians are allowed to watch that? Christians are allowed to listen to that? Christians are allowed to participate in that? The things that we do should be evaluated. Will this honor my God? Will this bring shame to him? Will the things that I participate, the things that I laugh at, the things that I enjoy, does that magnify Christ? Or does that bring shame to him? My behavior, the way that I live. You know, like it or not, your life is a fishbowl. And the people are watching you. Your neighbors know when your car is home and when it is not home. They know if you're supposed to be in church, they're wondering why you're home. Well, I thought your God was real. I thought this was real to you. Well, he's real except on Super Bowls. He's real except if I have something important to do. He's real unless, you know, this and this and this. Well, you'll understand that if we live our life that Christ should be magnified. You know, I may not feel like it, but this is what I'm doing. I'm going to God's house because I want to honor him. People around you notice and they watch. That everything that we do should be with a realization that people are watching to see if we are magnifying Christ. And Paul says, I want to live such a life that even while I'm in jail, people say, his God is real. You see, Paul wasn't kicking things and yelling, why am I here? It's not fair. I didn't do anything wrong. He could have acted that way. And that's how most of us would probably respond. But he says, no, I want God to be magnified, Christ to be magnified 
even in my chains, even when I'm in jail, even when I'm falsely accused, even when people are mad at me, even when people say, no, I don't know who this Paul is. No, no, I used to follow him. No, no, not anymore. I knew better. As people are turning away, he says, no, I'm going to respond properly because I want Christ to be magnified. He is my hope and in nothing Shall I be ashamed? Notice he goes on in verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ be magnified in my body, whether it be life or by death. Now remember, this word magnified carries the idea to make great. Or to enlarge. If you took a magnifying glass. You did it to make great the words. To enlarge the words. He says I want my life to make God big. That people see me. And God is big. By looking at me. Their God is real. I want my life to be a magnifying. Who Christ is. Now this is an important. Um, frame of mind to have. Because he is about ready to stand. Before the Roman emperor Nero. Now no one knows that Nero's gone crazy yet. At this time frame. He looks like he's a fairly good guy. And he's going to have some issues. That he's struggling with. But Paul says I'm going to stand before the Roman emperor. I'm standing before the leader of the world. And I want to have the boldness. To say my God is real. Everything I've done is because I serve him. That the way that I live my life, the way that I behave is for him. Now, don't you think that there are guards that are watching that would testify before court, before Nero? Let me tell you, he says his God's real, but you want to see the fits that he pitched in jail? You want to see his whining and complaining? He didn't. Instead, they're going to say, listen, there was something about this guy. We've never had a prisoner like him. He was singing songs while he was chained to us. He kept talking to us that his sins could be forgiven and ours can be too. We don't know what's wrong with this guy, uh, (laughs) Emperor, but let me tell you. Whatever he believes, it's real to him. Paul says, I want that to be magnified. I want to have that boldness that I could state my case before Nero. I don't want to cower before a man. I'm sorry, sir. I, I, I don't know what I was thinking. But he wants to have the boldness to say, my God's real. And I don't care what position you are. I'm not disrespectful. I'm letting you know God is real. He was going to be the same boldness as he was talking to a fellow prisoner, to a guard, the same he would before the Roman Caesar. He says, I'm having this confidence that Christ is going to be magnified in my body. Now, with this idea, you're facing a Roman emperor who's starting to show some signs of cracking. Not so much yet, but starting to show some signs. And he honestly doesn't know how the court case is going to go. Could you imagine not knowing if you're going to be beheaded soon? If you're going to be put to death? This is an important trial in his life. And as he's standing, he says, I don't know what's going to happen. I may live. I may die. If they tell me to go to death, then I still want Christ to be magnified in my body even when they sentence death. I'm not going to kick and scream and say, God's going to get you. Why are you doing this to me? He's going to say, if this is what God wants, I'm going to trust him. He says, I want God to be magnified no matter what the case, no matter what happens. Notice verse 21. For me to live is Christ 
and to die is gain. He says, this is the determination that I've made. That if God, and that's who's the final judge, not Caesar, not the Jewish accusers, God. If God allows me to live, I determine with what life and health and strength I have left, it's going to be for Christ. It's all for Him. And if I die, it's gain. They can't threaten me with heaven. Woohoo, you're going to send me to heaven? That's great. Thank you. In fact, you probably see Apostle Paul thanking Nero. Hey, you want to put me to death? Thank you. What's wrong with this guy? I'm going home to my Savior who I love so much and I can't wait. You know, there was something with the Apostle Paul. I determined I'm going to live for God. You know, this isn't his first time with death. You remember outside of the city of Lydia? They took him and they stoned him. Now remember, stoning is a big deal. Outside of the ancient cities, they would often have a pit that was dug out. And around it, they would have a bunch of rocks. And they would throw someone in the middle of the pit. And while they were looking down, they would take rocks and throw them. And there was a time that Paul was dragged out and he was stoned. He felt as the rock hit his head and cracked and blood began to come out. He felt as rocks, stones hit his arm and it would break his legs and broke. And they stoned him until he was dead. He was dead. The disciples looked at him and he's gone. And then the Bible talks about, Paul says himself that he got to take a glimpse of the third heaven. Remember there are three heavens, one with the birds fly in, one with the stars and three in the heavenly spot. He says, I was in the third heaven. And pretty much God said, I'm not done with you. Send it back. And when he sent back, it wasn't just he was back and had to spend several weeks recovering in the hospital. He was healed and walked straight back into town. Can you imagine what it would be like to see Paul go, didn't we just kill that guy? I know I broke his bone, I hit his leg and he comes back. For Paul, what confidence that was, God's not going to let me die till he's finished with me. So I've determined that whatever life and health and strength, he has left me here for a purpose. I'm going to live for Christ because he left me here on purpose. And he's not going to send me home until he's done with me. I've chosen that if I have life, it's for Christ. Everything about my life is for Christ. And if I die, I go home to God. It is gain. I'm not losing anything if they kill me. I'm going home. I forget this old rotten place. I'm glad. This is great. In fact, notice as he ponders this a little bit more. Here's a third thing here. Christ is magnified in my life with my desire to be with him. Christ is magnified in my life with my desire to be with him. Notice with me in verse 22. He says, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet What I should choose, I want not. Now he starts to think about this. He gets to the thought that, hey, if I live, it's Christ. If I die, it's gain. Then he starts thinking about that. What if God gave me the choice to live or die? He says, well, there's pros and cons to die. I get to be with heaven. But if I live here, there's more things that God could do. There's more fruit that could happen. More people to get saved. God could still use me. He says, you know, if you ask me the question... Paul, do you want to live or do you want to die? He says, I want not what I would choose. I, I, I don't know which one it'd be. I meant heaven's a real place. And you can go there. And I know without a doubt that my sins are forgiven. I know without a doubt that God has paid my price. 
And I could go up there. It's a real place. And I can't wait to get there. But as long as God has me here, he has something to do. I don't know what's better to be with him now or to get more things done in life that God can allow me to see. He says, if you ask me realistically, what do I choose? I don't know. He, he's pondering this as he's writing this letter to the church of Philippi. I, I don't know what, what I would choose. He now talks it over some more in verse number 23. For I am a straight betwixt the two. That betwixt carries the idea that I got two choices. One over here, one over here. And, and I'm in the middle. What do I choose? To live or to die? If it was left up to me. I don't know what I would choose right now. And again, he's talking it out as he's writing it. He says, I have a desire to depart. I have a desire to go home. <laughs> the leave of this filthy world. You know how many beatings I've had? You know how many shipwrecks I've had? Now remember when he's talking about that in the book of First, Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, he's still young in the ministry. He's still just starting out when he talks about the shipwrecks and the fastings and the beatings. He's still early. Now he's a little bit older. He has to travel with a full-time physician, Dr. Luke, who keeps him going. You think about aches and pains. You know, there's some people who can't make it to church today because I woke up and, oh. Paul says, I feel horrible, but I'm going to go start a church. That's a little difference of opinion. Paul says, I hurt. I've been beaten. In fact, some people believe that at this time, Paul is hunchback because of the beatings. They said that he doesn't have something to look at. He's not much to look at. They said that he has an eye disease and his eyes are bulging out. Uh, he says himself, he's not much to look at. I mean, he's powerful in word. People would say, I'd rather hear his writings. I'd rather read his letters than to hear him publicly because just look at the guy. Wow. And so Paul says, I'm beaten and I messed up and I'm in prison now and I'm waiting. You know, there are days that I hurt. The storm's coming in. It's getting cold again. I'm thinking about going home. But as long as God has me here, I go start another church. More people to get saved. God still has a plan. Uh, I have a choice. I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better than this old world here. Oh, that's my desire to be with him. Oh, I don't know what I would choose. I don't know how it's going to work out to quit this old wicked world. But he says, my desire is to be with him. It's so real that other buddy know it. Paul, is heaven real to you? Oh, yes. And I can't wait to get there. Hey, God, is being with God, is that a real thing? Oh, yes. I can't wait to get there. Now, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God now directs Paul in his thinking, which shows the last thing here, that Christ is magnified in my life as I still live in my body. Christ is magnified in my life as I still live in my body. Now, as he's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God is guiding him. He's writing in his daydreaming and said, man, if I had the choice, which one would I choose? I don't know. Then he starts thinking about heaven and says, you know what? That's far better. You know what? More than I think about it, I think it. And then God, by his Holy Spirit, directs him. Notice with me in verse 24. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Meaning that instead of dying, to stay here in this old sinful body, it's more needful for you, the church of Philippi. It's more needful for those who need to hear Christ. You know what? It's better. As much as I would like to go home, you still need some encouragement. You still need some help. You still need some loving on. 
You know what? It is needful for me to be here. Notice as God directs his thought in verse 25. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you. Think about this. Paul is thinking, man, you know what? I don't know if I had the choice. You know what? As I start thinking about heaven, maybe that is better. You know what? That's better gain. And then God, through his spirit, directs him back and said, no, I still got a plan for you. And then he says, you know what? I have this confidence now. A couple minutes ago, I didn't know which one was going to happen. But now, I have this confidence that I know I shall abide and continue with you. He says, I think God just answered my question for you. I know what's going to happen. <laughs> this court case is just a formality now. God's going to have me continue. He still has plans for me. God just spoke to me. He's got plans for me. And guess what? Because God is going to allow me to live with whatever health, life, and strength I have left. I'm going to magnify the Lord with what I have. I'm making this decision. You know why God is going to allow me to stay here? Because I've determined I'm going to live for him. Let me pause. You know, sometimes when we pray for folks, we don't know how to pray as we ought. The Bible says that in the book of Romans chapter 8. You don't know how to pray for as you ought. You say, I don't, what do you mean I don't know how to pray for? Aunt Susie's got the gout. Uncle Bob's got cancer. Don't, isn't God's will to heal them? Well, what happens with Uncle Bob and his cancer? God heals him, but Uncle Bob says, I still hate God. I don't want to serve God. Forget this. Why should God heal Uncle Bob? And Susie's got the gout and she's complaining and sore and swollen. But if God heals her and she still curses God, what benefit to God does that have? You see, why should I pray? How should I pray for Uncle Bob? That God would heal him for the purpose that Uncle Bob would use his health and life and strength to serve God. And Susie should get healed for the purpose of seeing that there's a God that hears and answers prayer so Susie can get saved. You understand, <laughs> we should be thinking about how does this magnify God? How sh does it benefit God that for our prayer request, for us to have life and health and strength? Why should God allow me to breathe another breath if I'm not going to serve Him, if I'm just going to be a mediocre Christian? With my body, I should magnify and determine that with every breath, with every life, with all my strength, I'm going to use it to magnify God. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to show, say, God, it's worth it to keep me around. Because I'm going to bring glory to your name and not shame. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm going to be a help. I'm going to be used. Having this confidence, I know I shall abide and continue with you. For all your furtherance and joy of faith. He says, I'm here for the furtherance of your faith. For the joy of your faith. That God's going to keep me here to keep you encouraged. To keep looking at God. To keep looking at Him. That God has me here for a purpose. To point others to Him. That's what I'm here for. God says, just told me I'm staying. Oh, that was probably encouragement to Paul. Where did he get that from? From writing this letter in the inspiration of the Spirit. God's directing him now. Verse number 26. That your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. He says, listen, I want to give you something to look forward to. I'm in prison now. Oh, but God just told me he's going to let me live. Can you imagine what rejoicing we're going to have, Church of Philippi? When I show up at your door and said, it's me, Paul. Because of your prayers, I'm here. Because of you praying. And we've decided to follow after Christ. Can you imagine what a rejoicing that would be when Paul showed back up at the church? And they're all celebrating and saying, look at what God did. God is real. God's amazing. Paul says, oh, that's going to be good stuff.
Now through this all, what is the idea here? That Paul had determined with his life, with every breath, with every life, with all of his strength, he was going to magnify Christ in his life. May I ask you, what is the purpose of your life? Why do you exist? Well, you say, well, I'm saved. That's great. But does your life magnify Christ? Or does it bring shame to Christ? Do your neighbors, they say, I can tell that's a Christian by how they behave, by how they respond, by what they do. Their God is real. Or they're like, they're a Christian? I didn't know that. That was a surprising thing. It's always amazing to find out, oh, I didn't know you were a Christian. I had no clue. I heard of once of a young man who got saved and uh, he was uh, a lumberjack and he was worried that he was getting sent to the northern part of Canada with his logging crew. And he was afraid that those loggers who had their own subculture of themselves, that they found out that he was a Christian, that they would uh, pick on him mercilessly and just kind of just embarrass him quite a bit. So he went to his pastor and said, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray as I go up that, that the, the guys up there that I won't get picked on at all because of being a Christian. And the pastor said, I could pray for that. I could pray for that. So the guy went up and logged and was up for a couple months doing some logging. As the young man came down, the pastor was excited. He wanted to hear how it goes. He said, how did it go? Did you get picked on? He says, not at all. No one found out that I was a Christian. Well, that's kind of the opposite of what was supposed to happen. Do people even know that you're a Christian? Do people know that you trust in Jesus Christ? Can they tell? Not by just what you say, if you say anything at all. Can they tell by the way you behave and how you respond? You understand there is a determination. This doesn't happen by accident. You don't roll over one morning and go, Woohoo! I'm following God! You see, it comes by a purposeful decision. Paul made a decision here. I've determined that if God allows me to live, I'm going to have Christ magnified in my body. I want it to be the purpose that no matter where I go and no matter what I do, that people say that is a follower of Christ. Their God is real to them. So I pose the question to you. Has that been something you made a decision in your life to do? If not, I want to encourage you to decide that now. That you'd be like the Apostle Paul. That Lord, I know I fail and I mess up. But Lord, would you help me to have a life that is magnifying Jesus Christ? That you would teach me, help me develop the habit to live in a way that I don't bring shame to your name. That I glorify who you are. That you are the purpose of my life and everybody knows it. Somebody you say, why does that person exist? And they can answer, Christ. That's their purpose. You know, some people give their life for sports. That's their whole purpose in life is sports. They may not even play sports, but they watch it. I can't, got to watch it all. There are some people who live for drugs. That's my purpose in my life is to get more drugs. There are some people who live their life for frivolous things. I live my life for my dog. My dog is more important than my kids. We've met people like that. Could it be said, honestly, that when people meet you, I could tell without a doubt their purpose is Christ. How they talk, how they behave, how they carry themselves. The purpose of that person's life is Christ. 
Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.